Hi, I'm Pastor Colin Smith, Senior Pastor of The Orchard. We're a church that loves the Bible, and this podcast features sermons from pastors at each of our six locations. Our prayer is that these messages will help root you in the Word of God, nourish you in the Gospel of Christ, and help you to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Here's today's message. One day not too long ago, I was sitting in my car. It was parked. I was enjoying some fresh coffee, some fresh joe. I was reading something important. You know, I had the car running. And when I was done with the document, I put it aside, I took another gulp of joe, and then I pressed the gas to get going. But I didn't move a single inch. All I heard was vroom. That's because I never put the car in drive. It's funny, right? I put my foot on the gas prematurely. I never engaged the transmission before putting my foot on the gas. How many people have done that before? It's okay, be honest. We talked about lying last week. <laughs> Saw a lot of hands, but you know, not everyone has done that, but all of us have done something similar, not with a vehicle. At some point in life, all of us have prematurely spoken while our brain was still in park. That's a glimpse into what the Bible calls hasty speech or that hasty tongue. Last week we talked about using our tongues deceitfully, but today we're shifting gears, shifting gears to talk about the danger of using our tongues too quickly, too quickly to be thoughtful or wise. Anyone need help with that? Anyone know someone who needs help with that? Amen. Don't point to him. Just focus, focus on growing him or her. Proverbs 29, 20 says, do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Let that sink in. Hasty words, they sound like something we should avoid using or deploying. It's easy for us to do this when we're angry about something. We say things that are hurtful or offensive. Anger is one of the reasons why we just bowl forward, saying offensive things. Uh, Sometimes even little jokes that we slip in can be hurtful or offensive. So the Bible's saying in 2920, Proverbs, don't be that dude, don't be that guy, don't be that girl. But to avoid being that guy or that girl, we have to make sure we have a, a biblical understanding of what hasty speech is. And not only that, we need to know the famous three Ps. I say that up front because I didn't come up with these. These are famous three Ps. Pausing, pondering, and praying. Those three give us the main point for today's message. And it's this. Avoiding hasty speech requires pausing, pondering, and praying. Those are the three Ps. I've heard it said to avoid hasty speech, we need to slow down and think before we speak. That's true, but what kind of thinking are we talking about here? What kind of thinking? There's a little bit missing from that advice. Slow down and think. That's good, but there's something missing from that advice. That's why we need to look at what the Bible says. We're going to unpack as we work through this proverb this morning what's missing from that advice. And to arrive at a clear biblical understanding of hasty speech and what leads to it, we're going to zoom in on one key word from Proverbs 29.20. 20. 
And then we're going to hear a tragic story from holy words of Scripture. A tragic story with a hasty tongue led to sorrow and suffering. So, one key word followed by a tragic story in the word. The word that I want to lock in on for a moment is the word fool. Fool. Again, Proverbs says, Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. So what is a fool? When we think about definitions and think about words, we have to make sure we're thinking about what the Bible says about what a fool is. The world has a definition for what a fool is. What does the Bible say about what a fool is? The world says the word awesome, you know, referring to, you know, a cheeseburger or something. You know, no cheeseburger is really awesome. I like Portillo's, but... Only God is awesome. You know, the world has definitions that don't exactly align with the Bible, don't exactly align with God's perspective. The same pertains to the word fool and the word love, all these other words. What is a fool? It's important to think about because a person can be extremely intelligent but still be a fool. A person can have more degrees than a protractor or thermometer and still be a So a person can have a master of mathematics, rocket science, business. They can be a master in law, chemistry, molecular cell biology, and astronomy. Can be a master of all those things and still be a... So the question, to kind of think about this, why do super smart people still commit crimes? Something's missing. Why do smart people, super smart people, still get STDs? Why do smart people light up and get high? Why do smart people still run their mouths recklessly? For more reasons that we have time to unpack, but the primary reason is because smart people don't necessarily have wisdom. Wisdom and intelligence aren't the same. To be foolish is to operate, then, as if God doesn't exist. That's the core of foolishness. Operating as if God doesn't exist, that's something Christians are still capable of, even though we know the truth. Psalm 14.1, look what the Bible says. Psalm 14.1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They're corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There's no one who does good. So fools ignore or suppress the truth about God's existence every day. A fool's lifestyle, a fool's conduct, a fool's conversations, they stem from a monumental lie that they tell themselves. They say in their heart, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. But the reality is, there's no excuse for living as if God doesn't exist. Apostle Paul, sharp man in the word, he said in Romans chapter 1, look what the Bible says, for what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, ever since the beginning, in the things that have been made. So they're without excuse. So there's no excuse for anyone to say that there's no God after seeing the sun, after seeing the stars, the moon, the Grand Canyon, deserts, oceans, yourself in the mirror. To say and live like there's no God is foolish. There's no excuse for it. In other words, in the Old Testament, the word fool is translated, don't be offended here, stupid fellow or dullard. So let's hear Proverbs 29, 20 again 
with the profile of a fool fleshed out and inserted into the proverb. Listen to this. 2920, do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There's more hope for a stupid fellow than for him. Do you see a man who's hasty in his words? There's more hope for a dullard than for him. Do you see a man who's hasty in his words? There's more hope for someone who says in his heart there is no God than for him. It's foolish to ignore God's holy existence. It's foolish to operate without God's holy instruction. But that's precisely what hasty speech stems from. That's the point. A hasty speaker doesn't pause to acknowledge God's presence, doesn't pray, doesn't ponder if God's word is in alignment with, about to, with what's about to come out of their mouth. Avoiding hasty speech requires pausing, pondering, and praying. The three famous P's. So if you're following here, Proverbs tells us that when we don't pause, ponder, and pray before we speak, there's more hope for a fool than for us. Because at least a fool knows how to just be quiet and zip it sometimes. Proverbs 17, 28 says, Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. So at least a fool is able to pause. Something that the hasty tongue never does. We need to pause, ponder, and pray before we speak. So when we're angry, for example... We don't cease to believe that God exists, but we begin to operate as if he doesn't when we just bowl forward with hasty words. When we're angry and have a, we have a tendency to say things that are hurtful that we can't get back. One of the things I think, when I think about Adam and Eve before the fall, they never argued. They never said hurtful things to one another. What a beautiful marriage. Before the fall, Adam and Eve, they never said a hasty word to one another. Temptation can take our focus off of God, too. And it causes us to say things that are hasty without pausing, pondering, and praying. When King David was up on the roof watching Bathsheba bathe, temptation was intense. So it wasn't anger. Now it's just intense temptation. The wise king then did something foolish, right? He didn't stop believing in God's existence, but he sure ignored it for a moment, didn't he? He didn't pause. He didn't ponder. He didn't pray. With haste, he commanded his men. Bring her over here. Hasty words, which led to a tragic story. But that's not the story that I want to briefly share. The story that I want to bring up is in Judges chapter 10 and 11, where there's a man who, for the sake of religion, killed his daughter. His name's Jephthah. Many of us know this story, but for those who don't, all of us, tune into this, because there's a, a crucial point that I want to make at the end that, is, that derives from the story that tells us what's missing from the advice to just slow down, pause, slow down, and think before you speak. There's something missing from that that we find unpacking at the end in this story. This guy's name's Jephthah. When we're introduced to him in the story, is during a time when Israel was in a downward spiral. They were it was a wicked time in Israel's history. They turned their backs on God. They were embracing idols. They had idols. Like, it was like a cafeteria of idols. Like, it was a catalog of idols. They put pagan practices into action, all kinds of sensual perversion, offering children to the gods. They lived that way for two whole decades. It's important to think about. So God brought the nations to come punish Israel. 
God brought people from Philistia, you know, the Philistines and the Ammonites to come and just squeeze them, to just, just gnaw at the borders of Israel. And they were suffering. And finally, they cried out to God. But God pretty much said to them, oh, you have idols though, right? Don't you have your old gods now? They can help you, right? At first, God didn't even step in to help. They didn't really have repentance. They were, you know, they were regretting what they had done. It wasn't really true repentance. They weren't really turning back to God. They just had a sense of regret. I feel bad for what's happening to me. But they weren't quite turning yet. But eventually they repented and they turned back to God and they destroyed the idols. And the Bible says that God saw their misery and their pain. It's in verse 16 of Judges 11. So he moved to deliver them. But this is important. When he delivered them, there was a reality that Israel needed a mighty warrior to step up. They needed someone to lead them in the battle against the Ammonites. That's exactly what the Bible calls Jephthah, who God raised up. The mighty warriors that I grew up around, I'm from Baltimore, Maryland. I think many of you know that. The mighty warriors, the guys that were really tough that I grew up around, they had difficult family situations. One lived right across the street from me. When he came to visit me sometimes, when I was having some food, he'd be watching, and I said, man, you, you want some food? He's like, yeah. And I just gave him my whole plate. I could just tell he wasn't even being fed. He was having a really difficult family situation. He had, t- had tons of unresolved anger. This is one of the closest guys I grew up with. He could fight. He loved to fight. He was really good with his hands. He had all this anger built up in him. He boxed. He played football with rage. He was street smart, even book smart, and he even started joining a gang. He's one of my best friends, and he grew up to eventually go into the army with zeal, tough. That's the type of guy that Jephthah was in Judges chapter 10 and 11. That's the character. I want you to have this context here. But his mother was a prostitute. He didn't grow up with his own mother. He grew up with his father's family who sent his mother away. It's a bad situation. And he was ridiculed by his, his stepfamily, his stepmother. He was verbally abused. And can you imagine what was happening to him in the community that he lived in, in Israel, to be a child born this way? People were just abusing him. He had a miserable childhood. Miserable. As soon as he could move far away, he did. The very moment, you know how people say, when I turn 18, I'm out of here. Our kids say that. When he was able to leave, he left. And the people were trying to drive him out. And when he got far, far away from home, he got connected with adventurers, the Bible says. Thugs. That's what, that's, that's what really it is. Thugs got connected with Jephthah. And then Jephthah became the leader of this group of thugs. Guys that lead gangs, they're tough. They have to fight to get to the top. And they have to fight to stay at the top. They have to be smart to lead a gang. And that was Jephthah. So over time, as years went on, he eventually had a daughter His name was spreading. Jephthah became a legend. People were hearing about all of his exploits. So the time came for Israel. They had like a committee. We got to appoint some leader to help us beat the Ammonites. We got to get out of this iron fist that we are under with them. Who is going to help us beat them? And guess whose name kept coming up over and over again? Jephthah. A committee went up to beg Jephthah to be their leader. The same folk that mistreated him and wanted him out of town. Now we're coming to him, begging him. Can you imagine what that felt like for him? Judges eleven seven. look what the Bible says. It says, but Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, 
Did you not hate me and drive me out of my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you're in distress? Same thing God said to Israel. Oh, now you want to come to me? So Jephthah eventually signed the deal before God and he became their leader. So Jephthah then tried to reason with the Ammonites. Hey, this is our land. God gave this to us. You know, your God gave you your land. He was trying to appeal to them. But the king of Ammon, the Ammonite king, he felt like he had the upper hand. So he didn't want peace. No peace. It's wartime. So the spirit of God came upon Jephthah and led him to a major victory. And he became just this victor in Israel. And he comes back home to people chanting and celebrating. It's a great story how a kid from the ghetto becomes a hero of a nation. This is in the Bible in Judges, chapter 10 and 11. Read it on your own when you have a moment. But before Jephthah went into battle, this was just a great story, but he slipped up big before this battle. He made a vow to the Lord. He, he exercised a hasty tongue before the Lord. Look what the Bible says in Judges 11, 29, 31. Let's look at this. It says, Then the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, and passed on to Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead he passed on to the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's. And I will offer it up for a burnt offering. A burnt offering. It was hard to imagine what he thought would be coming out of his house. I don't think animals were coming out of his house. This was a rash vow that this man of God, the man who had faith, made to the Lord. And then when he came back from battle, in verse 34, look what the Bible says of chapter 11. It says, Then Jephthah came to his home at Mizpah, and behold, his daughter came out to meet with him with tambourines and with dances, so excited to see Dad, embracing Dad, you won the victory. She was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And I'm so, with tears, he has to tell his little girl, I've promised God that I'd sacrifice you. And then she said, if you made a promise to God, you got to keep your promise, Dad. Just give me some time to be with my friends. Let me hang out with my friends a little bit before I die. So he's mourning now. This hastiness is now leading to his mourning. She's never going to be married. She's never going to have children. What every woman in Israel wanted. This mourning now. This sorrow and suffering happening because of a rash word. Without pondering, praying, and pausing. When she came back, Jephthah sacrificed her to God. Hasty speech led to sorrow and suffering. I know this is extreme, but on a different scale, it's the same thing we can expect when we speak with haste. Look what Judges says in 1139. The Bible says, And at the end of two months, she returned to her father, who did with her according to his vow that he made. She never had known a man since she was a virgin. She never got married. And it became a custom in Israel. This was so flagrant that no one ever forgot it. Every year, they remembered this. But this is tragic because Jephthah didn't have to do this. In Leviticus and Deuteronomy, it's clear. God doesn't want humans as burnt offerings. But Jephthah did not know the word of God. He didn't know the word. He grew up in dysfunction. He wasn't taught the word. He had faith, but he had poor theology. So he made a hasty vow. 
So we need this story in the Bible because it teaches us the core thing that we need to be victorious over hasty speech. Again, I've heard it said to avoid hasty speech, we need to slow down and think before we speak. That's true, but an important word needs to be added to the statement. To avoid hasty speech, we need to slow down and think theologically before we speak. This is where Jephthah went wrong. He was thinking, but he wasn't trained in the word. Avoiding hasty speech requires that we think theologically before we speak. So it's not just pause, ponder, and pray. It's pause, ponder the word primarily, and pray. Something that Jephthah did not do. Something that we don't do when we're hasty in our words. Only Jesus Christ did this perfectly because he's God. He's God in the flesh. And he wasn't making a, a, a rash vow when he promised that whoever puts faith in him would have eternal life. Whoever puts faith in him will not experience death, will not experience hell. He wasn't making a rash vow. He wasn't speaking hastily when he made those promises. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, think about the words that he said. They're actually true. None of them were hasty words. And he's available to help us refrain from exercising the hasty tongue. But before we release, before we release certain words, we need to slow down and acknowledge that God is present and listening. So if there's an angry moment between you and someone else, for example, focus on the Lord still. Slow down and acknowledge that God's present and listening. Slow down and allow his word to grade or judge what you're about to say. Think about the words you're about to put out. Let the word of God grade or judge that. We need to allow his word to grade or judge what we say. So this requires us to actually know the word, right? This is why we have church every Sunday. It's why we have life groups. So that our hearts can be fed the word of life. So Jephthah had faith, but he had poor theology. And that is what led to him having hasty words. Faith alone saves people, but faith plus healthy theology grows people, enables people to not have hasty speech, etc. So God wants to fill us with his words so that our lives, including our words, can be guided by his. This is an exaltation to be steeped in the word, to soak ourselves in the word. In 2 Peter chapter 1, the Bible says that God has given us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. He's given us his word, his precious promises. In The Wizard of Oz, Dorothy, in the beginning of the show, the beginning of the movie, most of us know this movie. You know, she's abandoned. She's away from her home. She's seeing the lollipop kids jump around. You know, we know this, this, this show. She's walking a yellow brick road. The whole movie is about her trying to get home. The whole movie. She's you know, snatched up by flying monkeys. She's been, she's went through so much drama, the whole movie. But what, what blows my mind is the entire movie, she already had everything that she needed. Those ruby red slippers. At the end of the movie, she realized the whole time I already had everything I needed to be victorious. So that's what God is saying to us. God has given us everything we need to be victorious. Don't get to the end of your life and realize you always had it the whole time. We need the word of God. We need to ponder the word. Without it, we're subject to be operating like a fool. So, pause. If you can stop long enough before you speak, then maybe you won't say something offensive and be damaging. Ponder the word. Think about whether or not your choice of words is in alignment with God's. And pray. Pray. Just for a moment, just ask the Lord to help you with guidance with your speech.
pause, ponder the word, and pray. So write these three Ps down somewhere on a post-it note and post it somewhere where you'll see it. I even recommend writing them down on a piece of paper and putting it in your pocket. So whenever you reach into your pocket for something, you feel that piece of paper and it's a reminder, oh, I need to pause today before I say things. I need to ponder the word and I need to pray. Write down a post-it note, put it in your pocket, pause, ponder the word, and pray. And we'll be a lot less offensive and harmful with the things we say. Slow down. Think before you speak, but think theologically. We need to make sure we remember God has given us everything we need in the word. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ, who never spoke a hasty word, only words of truth, grace and truth, only that which you've led him to speak in the power of your Holy Spirit. So we worship him. We worship you. And we just ask, Lord, that you would sanctify us, Lord. Give us conviction, continued, so we can see our need for growth in Christ's likeness. I pray that there's someone here who doesn't know Christ would turn to him in faith today. And I pray that we would have heightened control of our tongues, sanctification of our speech, Lord. We thank you for this time and your word. Thank you for Proverbs, wisdom from on high. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Orchard Sermon Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, please subscribe, become a regular listener, and share the link with others. And if you're in the northwest suburbs of Chicago, we'd love to welcome you as our guest at one of the Orchard's six locations. For more information, go to theorchard.church. That's theorchard.church.